Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning. Great to see you. Hope you're doing well. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to John and chapter 10, and we're going to carry on where we left off last week. Um, how many of you weren't here last week? Where were you? It was amazing. Jesus came back and everything, and you missed it. Anyway, well done for being here this week. Great to see you. Uh, we are, just for a couple of weeks, uh, focusing in on the subject of what it looks like to fall in love with a prophetic all over again. And the prophetic is just simply a Bible word for hearing what God is saying and passing it on to other people. And so we're just kind of putting the spotlight on that last week and then this week. If you didn't hear last week, I would encourage you to uh, go and have a listen to that. Um, and just to say, uh, I want to encourage you to be praying over these coins. Just, just grab your coin. Just, just humor me, just for a moment. Grab your coin, hold it in your preferred hand. Lift it up, show me your coin. In fact, stand with me. This is a Solomon important moment as a church family. Okay, say after me. I vow, before Phil and everyone else in this room, I will love somebody else and pass this coin on to them. This week or next week. Amen. Sit down. Okay. That was an important moment. Everyone witnessed that. You have hundreds of witnesses in this room. So looking forward to hearing the stories about all that God is going to do. Um, just before we get into John chapter 10, uh, just, just uh, a real quick couple of prophetic words. Uh, there's a gentleman sitting just there with a, a beard. No, you just look right behind your shoulder. It's you, sir. What's your name? Warren. Um, or would you mind just quick, quickly standing? I don't want to embarrass you. You can stay, stay there. I, just, I felt God speaking to me about you during the worship time. And I felt God particularly highlighting the book of Nehemiah. And that God was saying this is a season where you are going to find your authority to build in a brand new way. And Nehemiah hit this key kind of uh, touch, light touch paper moment in his life where suddenly he stepped into his calling in a way that was full of authority. And I just felt like the word of the Lord to you is that you are to arise and build in this season. And that there was going to be special favor on you to release hope wherever you go. And I could see very tall buildings and lots of staff. And I, I felt like there was going to be something about favor in tall institutions and places of, of kind of government, places of decision making, and also uh, with people that you yourself are going to lead. And this was a season where just as Nehemiah began to galvanize action to rebuild the city, that there is an anointing on you to rebuild ruined places. And uh, you've got to weigh this. I mean, I just felt God give me the word UNESCO. Um, which I had to look up, and it's the United Nations Development Group. And its aim is to contribute to the building of peace, the eradication of poverty, sustainable development, and intercultural dialogue through education, the sciences, culture, communication, and information. And I just felt God was going to give you an ability in the next decade to make partnerships between charitable sector, private sector, uh, organizations that were going to release the grace of God's um, in world places. And I felt like UNESCO was going to be one of those organizations that God was somehow going to connect you to and give you favor. And there's something about a multinational um, level anointing on your life to bring the favor of God that's going to bring peace to children, that's going to bring hope to cities, 
and it's going to release, I felt it was going to release um, ideas for employment and finance as well. So there's something about, I don't know if any of that makes any sense to you whatsoever. I just feel like God is releasing you as a strategy builder in this season and that this is a season to arise and build and to make the big asks. Nehemiah had to make a really big ask. He prayed, he got grace from God, and then he made a big ask, and God gave him all the resources that he needed. And I just feel like there's a promise for you that you are going to get all the resources you need to fulfill every God-given dream that he's put in your heart. So just, does that, some of that make sense to you? 100%. Brilliant. Thank you, Jesus. We'll just bless that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just, just real quickly as well, I thought God tell me I should prophesy over whoever was standing directly at the back of the room opposite me. So uh, there's a gentleman standing right back there. You're leaning against the post. Hey, just uh, I can't quite see you. Remind me your name? Tim. Tim. Brilliant. Uh, just a couple of people, maybe just gather around Tim at the back and just real quickly pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Tim, I just feel like the Father wants to encourage you that... Uh, though you're at the back of the room, you're not at the back of his purposes. And there's a, a sense in which uh, you are very happy to serve outside of the limelight. And I feel like the Father just wants to commend you that he's, he's established you as a pillar. He's established you as a man who brings strength to others in the secret places. And he just wants to commend you for that. He wants to commend you for the secret hidden acts where you've sought to encourage and bring strength to your brothers. And the Father says, you are coming into a new season of God-given confidence in who he has called you and made you to be. And it's like I can see you just freshly discovering your gifts and freshly discovering your confidence in this season. And some of you being in the hidden place has been because of a lack of confidence in who you are. But the Father says this is a day of supreme clarity and confidence in God, the likes of which you've never known before. And I feel like there was something as well, particularly about you having a gift to serve the poor and the broken. And uh, that you are going to discover your voice in a very powerful way amongst the poor. And that he wants to encourage you to find the grace of God amongst those who have the least in our community. And there's something about you finding revelation about what God is like in those encounters with those people. Because he is the God who mends the broken. He's the one who restores the ruined places. He's the God who makes new the things that have the enemies tried to steal. And the Father says, you are a man who's going to bring redemption. And you're a man who's going to bring hope. And it's a day of new confidence for you. So I just want to bless you, Tim, in the name of Jesus. And God bless you for who you are and all you bring. So we just applaud the Lord? Just thank him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You love Jesus. So John chapter 10, we are looking at Jesus' words about him being our good shepherd. These are very famous words in Scripture. Jesus in John chapter 10 is having a conversation with the religious leaders and he's saying, um, strangers don't recognize my voice, but my sheep recognize it's me when I'm speaking. And he's talking to them because they are acting like complete strangers of Jesus. He has just healed a man who was born of blindness. And yet even when they witness the miracle, they still cannot recognize that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been longing for. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, strangers like you don't recognize it's me when I'm speaking. But my friends, they hear my voice. 
And the good news for all of us this morning is that it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian five seconds or 50 years, you are all made to hear the voice of the good shepherd. If you are a sheep, you can let out a little bar if you want to. You get to hear Jesus. That's your inheritance. It's a free gift. You didn't earn it. It's just yours. It's what you get because you're a child of God. Jesus says he is our good shepherd. And the thing about hearing the voice of Jesus is that it just releases life. It releases life. And that's one of the reasons why Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, you should eagerly desire that you should prophesy, that you should hear God and pass it on. Because he understood when we prophesy, we are releasing the very life of God. And I could, I could stand here literally probably for 10 hours, tell you story after story after story about how when God speaks, life just comes forth. He just releases life through his words. I mean, just one story from mine and Carol's life. Um, I I met Carol, my wife, when I was 19 years old, had very bad dress sense, had large hair, had trousers that were too short for my legs. I mean, it wasn't a good look, but she still fell in love with me. It was was the grace of God. It was a miracle. It was his his gift to me. And uh, we fell in love and we got engaged. And as you do when you kind of getting serious in a relationship, you began to have serious conversations. You begin to talk about the, the deep matters of life. What are you dreaming of for the future? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? And I remember one day vividly sitting on a park bench with Carol and beginning to talk about family and about children and about our hopes and desires for having children one day. And I was just saying, and so what, you know, what are you thinking about family? You know, do you know how many children you want? And all those kind of things. And quite surprisingly, she said, she said, I haven't told many people this, but I actually don't ever want to have my own kids. I was like, oh, okay. And it was one of those, oh, moments in a relationship. And um, I fortunately didn't say that out loud. I said it internally. And um, she, she just began to say, you know, I've seen so much pain and heartache amongst children. I've seen children walk through so much pain in their life. I just don't know that I want to bring my own children into the world because I can see what happens to them. And she said, maybe one day I might adopt, but I just don't want my own children. And I remember thinking in my heart when she said those words, God, would you come and do a miracle? Will you come and speak to Carol? Will you do something that only your voice will actually change? And I forget how long after it was, but we were still uh, engaged. We weren't married yet. And we were in a meeting a little bit like this where a lady called Sharon Stone, not the Hollywood actress, another lady, she was kind of about five foot, kind of short but power-packed kind of lady, very, very prophetic. And we were all queuing up to get her to pray for us and prophesy over us. And so it came to Carol's turn and Sharon began to prophesy over Carol. And we'd never, ever met her before. And among the first words that she said to Carol were this. She said, I can see in your heart where you said you never want to have children. God says he's coming to that place and he's going to make it brand new. I mean, it was just, it was like a jaw-dropping moment because only four people in the world knew that fact about her. And um, we kind of left that room kind of just knowing that God had started something. And then a few months later, in the middle of the night, we were engaged, we were in separate houses. She, she had a dream one night, and in this dream, she dreamt that she was pregnant. And uh, the Lord said to her in the dream, she, she, he said, you are going to have a son, you are to call him Samuel, and he will bring delight to your heart. 
And in the dream, she, she gave birth and she, she held this little boy in her arms and looked at this little boy. And she said, she just looked at this boy in the dream and she just loved him. And she, she could feel in the dream all these maternal instincts just beginning to pour out of her towards this little baby boy. And she woke up and instantly she wanted to have babies. And she, I remember the next, next morning, she, she phoned me up. She's like, Phil, Phil, are you in? I need to come round. God's spoken to me. And so she rushed around and she's like, Phil, I want to start a family as soon as we can, as soon as we're married. And uh, just God in a heartbeat, it just changed everything. How? By speaking. Because in his words are the very DNA and genesis of life. When he speaks, life comes. Jesus is our good shepherd and we were made to hear his voice. And so we're going to just continue to learn some lessons about what happens when he speaks. This is what Jesus continues to say in our passage, John 10, verse 3. He says, My sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. I want you to notice the connection here that Jesus makes between listening and following. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. And they follow the good shepherd. He is linking two concepts here. He is saying, obedience is blessed. Blessed are you if you don't just hear these things, but if you put them into practice. James, another writer in the New Testament, puts it like this. He says, your faith without deeds is dead. It's the same idea. It's the same idea of, actually, we were born to demonstrate that we truly listen to to God, not just by hearing him, but by doing the things that he says. Obedience is blessed. When God speaks to us, it's not merely to tickle our ears and give us a nice fuzzy feeling. It's actually to give us mobilizing instructions for life. Blessed are you if you do these things. I wonder whether you're living in that place of knowing the blessing of God because you don't just listen to God but you seek to put these things into practice. Jesus told this parable about the wise and foolish builders. It's a very famous parable. And he said, listen, there were two men who built a house. One man built his house on a solid rock foundation. And when the storm came, that man's house stood firm on the rock. There was another man, the foolish man, and he built his house on the sand. When the storms came, that man's house was eradicated by the storm. What's the difference between the two men? Well, Jesus tells us in the parable. He says, the man who built his house on the rock listened and obeyed the word of God. Do you want to know the difference between living in foolishness and living in wisdom? It's this. Blessed are you if you do these things. (laughs) Blessed are you if you do these things. A number of weeks ago in our Mission Sunday, we had uh, Mikhail, our friend from Yalava in Turkey, come and talk to us about incredible work that he's doing uh, with Syrian refugees, with Iranian refugees. I'm just a stunning work of God. And some of you, like me, may have been there listening to Mikhail and just thinking, I've, I've just got to get involved in this somehow. And the whole way through listening to Mikhail, God was just speaking to me. He's like, Phil, you've got to give to this. You've got to give to this. You've got to give. Well, listen, what's the very next question when God says you've got to give to this? 
How much, Lord? That's the next bit. That's the listen and follow equation. It's the how much. When God says jump, the next question is how high, Lord? That's how this dynamic works. It's how it, how it works. Jesus says, listen, you are my friends if you obey the things that I tell you. How do you know if you're a friend of God? You do the things that he says. That's how it works in the kingdom. Jesus' recipe for a stormproof life is to build on something that will never, ever pass away. That's what Jesus says about his own words. Matthew 24, 35. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's why the only sure foundation for your life is not building on comfort, on money, on sex, on power, on position. The only sure foundation is to build on the words of Jesus. Because those words will never, ever pass away. They will outlive you. They will outlive this planet. His words will never pass away. Listen and follow. That's how you can tell who the sheep are. How's that going for you? And of course, one great example where we're trying to put these things into practice is with these tsunami of love coins. Because God's given us this incredible promise that he wants to release an outpouring of his love in our community. And of course, the very next question to ask is, how can I play my part? What can I do to be part of that answer? And so Karen and I were just praying about that this week, thinking we'd love to be like the first ones to give one of these coins away. So we did our first tsunami of love, ninja, amigo, boss man, not quite sure which category I'm in yet. But we, 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 we kind of went for our first kind of coin giving moment this morning. And uh, some of you may have heard me last week sharing how I was in hospital recently with kidney stones, which, by the way, have disintegrated and disappeared of their own accord. So I'm going to take that. Um, we, uh, we were just so bowled over by the... the the skill and the care of our hospital team at our, and our, in the A&E department particularly, that we just, we, for a few couple of weeks, we've been wanting to go in and just say thanks and just bless them. And so we thought, what better opportunity to give our first kind of coin away than to go there? So yesterday, we went and bought a hamper. Here's a little picture up on the screen. And uh, we, we bought a thank you card. We kind of packed a bag full of goodies. And so we, we went to A&E this morning and uh, we kind of went in with our bag and we, we started the conversation with the guys on the desk. We're like, you know, we just we wanted to thank you guys so much for serving our town. You do such a brilliant job. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your faithfulness. You are making this town just a better place to be in. Thank you so much. And it was one of those funny conversations because they started kind of looking very sort of skeptical and What's in the bag? Is it a bomb? You know, is it, you know, get the metal detector out. Uh, but by the end, they were like, oh, thank you so much. That's amazing. And we kind of got led through to the nurse's station to say thanks to some of the nurses who looked after me. And, you know, we left that hospital this morning just saying to each other, that was so much fun. Like, who, who can we do next? Like, what can we do next to just express some kind of love towards people in our community? And the reality is, when you love people, it's a lot of fun. It releases a lot of joy. Can I encourage you to think through this question? If God is wanting to release a tsunami of love, what does love look like for me? What does it look like for me to be a living, walking tsunami of love wherever I go? <laughs> How can people feel the love of God through my life? Love is such a powerful thing. 
Here's one of my favorite quotes from George Dana Boardman. He says this, Love is the supreme characteristic of the kingdom of God or Christianity itself. Thus, on this twofold commandment of love to God and love to man hangs, as hangs a colossal door on its two hinges, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Love is thus the rhythmical keynote, the decorative index, the fundamental principle of the kingdom of God or the Christian religion. Love is the ethereal medium pervading God's moral universe by means of which are propagated the motions of his impulses, the heat of his grace, the light of his truth, the electricity of his activities, the magnetism of his nature, the affinities of his character. In brief, love is the very definition definition of deity himself or as the Beatles paraphrased all you need is love all you need is love God is love let's be love wherever we go Next truth we learn from our passage is uh, in Jesus words he continues teaching in John 10 and he says this he says therefore I tell you I am the gate for the sheep All who come in before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and life in all of its fullness. I love that. Jesus says, listen, I am the the gate for the sheep. There is one way into the sheep pen and one way out. And that way is me. Me. And primarily here, Jesus is talking about the way into the kingdom of God. And he's saying, listen, that there aren't many different routes to God. You can't get to God through lots of different religions and pathways and higher kind of courses of wisdom. Actually, there is only one way into this particular sheep pen called the kingdom of God, and his name is Jesus. I am the gate. If you want to know life in all its fullness, you've got to come through me. It's Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus. And that's primarily what Jesus is saying here. I am the gate. But also he is Saying here, listen, there are particular parameters when I begin to speak to you. When the shepherd begins to talk to you with his voice. And the parameter is found here in verse 10. I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. When Jesus speaks as our gates, it releases life. Now, this is very, very critical. I think sometimes we think that when God begins to draw boundaries like a gate that it's somehow restrictive and controlling. I wonder sometimes where people have maybe drawn a boundary on you. Maybe as you were growing up, it might have been a parent or it might have been a boss or it might have been someone in your life. They drew some kind of boundary or parameter. And maybe your immediate thought was, well, that's just so controlling. Have you ever thought that? Well, actually, that's a misunderstanding of what biblical boundaries look like. Jesus is saying, listen, I am a good shepherd. I draw a gate, I draw the boundaries of my pen for a reason. And the reason is not to punish you, it's to promote you. The reason that God draws godly boundaries on the way that we're to live is so that we might receive life and life in all its fullness. 
It's just like a farmer when he takes his field and wants to grow certain crops in it. He will deliberately cultivate that piece of ground so that the weeds don't grow and his crops do grow. That's called a healthy biblical boundary. If you live a boundaryless life, you will not know life in all its fullness as Jesus intends. Parents, you are meant to draw boundaries on your children. I read this quote recently that said this, that smartphones are going to be what wearing seatbelts was maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Unrestricted use of smartphones is going to be like not putting your seatbelt on in a car. Boundaries are absolutely critical. Biblical boundaries are so important in all sorts of ways, including in the prophetic Jesus actually has prophetic boundary lines that help us know how the prophetic operates in a healthy way. There are boundary lines. And actually the reason that we have a prophetic boundary line is so that we know who our sheep are and who our sheep are not. Because the reality is prophetic cultures differ in different churches all over the world. But we have a particular prophetic culture in this church And I want to just talk to you quickly about the eight boundary lines of our prophetic culture in this church. And this is about promoting life and releasing life in all its fullness. So here we go. Whistle stop tour. Number one, the prophetic is redemptive. It's redemptive in nature. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says that when we speak, we speak to men for their encouraging, comfort and strengthening. We lift up, we build up, we cheer up. In other words, when we bring prophetic words, people should feel like I am strengthened because of the words that you just shared with me. That's really, really important. I was uh, maybe about a year or so ago, I just happened to be at the back of the room on the sound desk And uh, while I was back there, a lady that I'd never seen before came up just in front of the sound desk, pointed at our sound man and said, you are drowning out the voice of God's people and he's very displeased and then walked away. And uh, what he reminded me was, was at the same time as she said that, she also passed a diagram that she'd drawn for him to look at about how displeased God was. And so I said to him, don't worry, you carry on doing the sound, I'll go and talk to her. And so I, just, I went back and I found this lady and we began to have a conversation and it was prophetic 101. It's, listen, when God speaks, it's to strengthen, it's to cheer up, it's to lift up. I'm not sure that what you just brought actually did what the Bible says prophecy should do. And we began to have a conversation about how the prophetic works. It's redemptive, it redeems, it strengthens, it's good news. Now, good news doesn't mean that always God speaks to us easy things. He will sometimes speak to you difficult things that you don't always want to do. But it's always to strengthen and lift you up. That's the first value. It's redemptive. Secondly, it's loving. The prophetic is an encounter with a loving God. When we prophesy in in, in church or in other contexts, people should always feel, after you've prophesied, that they are God's special treasures and that he particularly loves them. In other words... Prophecy is as much about how you prophesy as what you prophesy. I'll try that over here. (laughs) Prophecy is as much about how you prophesy as what you prophesy. Just just saying, just saying. (laughs) How you prophesy is as important as what you prophesy. (laughs) 
And 1 Corinthians 13, 2 puts it this way. It says, listen, you could fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge. Like you could be the most accurate prophet in the whole wide world. But if you don't know how to love people well, you're like a painful noise in somebody's ear. In other words, love is the very heartbeat of the prophetic. When you prophesy, people should feel like God loves me. He loves me. He really does. So critical. Thirdly, accountable. The prophetic is valued when it gets weighed by others. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. When we prophesy, we should be asking accountable questions like, The things I've just shared with you, does that make any sense to you? Does that connect to you? Do you receive that as God? And, and you know, people should always have a way out when we prophesy. The prophetic should never control or coerce. It should always provide people with powerful choices to make. If you've ever received a prophetic word that controlled you, that is not from God. It's not. I remember once counseling a young man and he said, I feel I don't know what to do because a very prophetically accurate friend of mine prophesied that when I get married one day, my, ch- my wife will have two children, but she will have great difficulty in having them. He said, do you think that that was God speaking? And I said to him, well, what was the effect in your heart? He said, I've been afraid ever since. I said, well, that was not Jesus. And so we prayed for him. We just broke those words off. It was like a curse that was operating over his life. He's now got three or four kids. He's happily married. But that wasn't God. How did I know? Because the effect was fear and control. It robbed him of choice. The prophetic is accountable. It's so important. Fourthly, it's revelatory. The prophetic actually brings Holy Spirit revelation. The word for bringing a revelation in Scripture is apocalypto, which literally means an unveiling, an uncovering. In other words, when we prophesy, we should be asking God to show us something that we didn't know before. That we didn't know before. I call this asking God for the last 5%. The last 5% is those details from God that he knows, but he wants you to ask him for. (laughs) You know, for example, you might, you might be prophesying over someone and thinking, I just know that God is calling you to the nations. Well, the last 5% question is asking God, which nation are you calling them to? It's the detail, it's the name, it's the address, it's the birthday. It's the thing that only God could know that opens up a door. It's actually revelatory. And it's the thing that requires risk. It's the thing that might, might actually go wrong. It's the thing that you might actually have to make some mistakes to grow and learn and fine-tune your prophetic ability. Taking risks is so critical because we want to share revelation. The only note I would add to that is please don't prophesy births, deaths, or marriages. I'm serious. Don't do that. I remember once, again, counselling a young guy. He was in a, 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 a meeting with about 40 people. It was actually in Bedford, somewhere, somewhere else. And a very well-respected guy came up to him. He was a single man, about 18 years old, pointed at another girl in the room and said, you're going to marry that girl one day. Not only was that word wrong because he's now married to somebody else, but also giving the word in the first place was wrong. Just don't do it, folks. Don't do it. We want to go for revelation, but not that kind. So next, number five, it's missional. The prophetic is a powerful tool to bless those who don't yet know Jesus. And I would add to that number six, which is normal. The prophetic is done in a fitting and orderly way. So when we hear God and pass it on to people who don't yet know Jesus, it's a powerful tool. Why? Because it's a revelation that there really is a God in heaven who knows me. 
That's why it's such a powerful tool for those that don't yet know Jesus, for us to be praying and asking God to speak to us for them. And I'll just say, this being normal thing is actually really, really important. You know, if you are prophesying over someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, it is not going to help you if you start doing Pentecostal shabbering, shaking of the hands, swaying from side to side, sweating, getting your hanky out, rubbing your forehead, quoting King James English, Thus saith the Lord! That is not going to help you, folks. That's, that's not what we're going to do here. If you feel like God is speaking to you for someone that doesn't yet know Jesus, I would just encourage you to dial it right down. And just be as normal as you possibly can. You may not even share that you feel like God is speaking to you. You might just be saying, I'd just love to encourage you for what I see in you. You are such a gift. And this is what I see in your life. You know, I just want to, I'm totally with you. You can bring things from God in a way that's completely normal. That releases his heart. It's so critical. Next is done in team. The prophetic is best done as a team sport. And then lastly, it's biblical. The prophetic is consistent with and submitted to the authority of the Bible as its primary source of revelation. This is the way 2 Timothy 3.16 puts it. All scripture is God-breathed. I could not say that about every prophetic word that I've ever brought. I could not point at my prophetic words and say, all of Phil's words are God-breathed. Because actually scripture says we prophesy in part and we see in part. But what we can say of Scripture is all of Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, when we prophesy what we see in part, it always comes under, it's submitted to the greater authority of the written Word of God. That's why if you were to come to me, for example, and say, Phil, I know that Jesus is coming back on August the 30th, 2019, at precisely 10.01 p.m. I might be able to say to you, Brother, thank you so much for sharing that. But I know that that word is not from God because Scripture says only Jesus knows the times and the circumstances of when he's going to return. We submit to the word of God in our prophetic culture. This is what a healthy prophetic boundary line looks like. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. If you want to come in and know life in all its fullness, this is what it looks like. These kind of boundary lines actually are to promote us, not to punish us. They're to release life as we begin to listen to him and pass it on to others. And I just want to encourage you, if you've never ever prophesied before, this is your season to hear him speaking to you in a brand new way. Why don't we stand together and let's finish. Why don't you just quickly grab a shoulder of someone you're standing next to. If you're comfortable doing that, if you're not, just tell them to get off you. And uh, let's just, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you that you are our good shepherds. Lord, we thank you that we as your sheep get to hear your voice. Every single one of us, none of us discounted. And so, Father, I want to pray that there be a rising tide of the prophetic in this community, that we would learn how to release words that bring life, that lift up, cheer up, and strengthen. Jesus, come and rest upon us. And Lord, I pray that we would hear these words today. Blessed are you if you do these things. Lord, help us to be wise builders who hear you, but also follow you. I pray for that in the way that we parent our children, in the way that we do our relationships. Lord, in the way that we conduct our marriages, what we look at with our eyes, Lord, the things that we dream of in our hearts, Jesus, help us to listen, but also to follow. Holy Spirit, we say we want to be a community that rocks our world, 
because we know how to hear the voice of the good shepherd. And Lord, we just say again, like last week, more than anything else, we want to be known as friends of God. Friends who lean in to hear your whispers. We bless us. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.